Hey, busy business people. I am here today with another entrepreneur taking action, Gregory Offner. Gregory helps businesses of all sizes learn how to make work suck less and grow your business. I'm getting scooped today on how he does it, so stay tuned. Okay, so I know work sucks is something that you believe. Can we kind of start there and elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. I think the best place to start is to look at the current common catalog of pop music. Christina, if I asked you to point to a song about work being awesome, what song would you point to? I'm not going to make you awkward pause. There probably aren't any, but if I asked you to point to a song about work sucking, you'd probably tell me about Dolly Parton's nine to five or about that country song called shift work. That's right, folks. I said shift work, not the other. I mean, it's clearly in our common vernacular, this idea that work as an institution, okay, maybe not your work, but work the way we think of it generally work sucks. And given the opportunity, most people would rather not. I mean, I've heard of people who actually schedule, I mean, get this, Christina, they schedule dentist appointments when they know they're supposed to be at work. I mean, if you'd rather be at the dentist than at work, that says something about the quality of the experience we're having at work. So yeah, it's pretty commonly accepted that work sucks. And I'm on a mission to take the irk out of work. Because I believe that work should be a place where we go and become our best selves, solve the world's most challenging and pressing problems. There is no organization on the face of the planet that is more effective at solving problems than a consciously and ethically run business. Nonprofits aren't better. The government clearly ain't better. There is no organization that's more capable of affecting change on our planet than business. But I think we've built many of these businesses backwards. Yeah, especially in America. It's like I was talking with somebody about that the other day, that it's like businesses have become our social safety net. And it's like, they're the ones that help people grow, that help people like live their lives, that help them make the money that they want to make, that help them save for retirement, that help them put their kids through college. Like businesses are the social safety net and we have more responsibility than we could ever imagine as entrepreneurs. I mean, things like choosing what healthcare packages I'm going to offer, choosing to even offer healthcare and the impact that that's going to have on someone's life and their ability to take care of themselves and take care of their families. Like it's a huge responsibility. Like we really have to take our employees and their lives seriously. I think that's something that it's, you know, it's a lot to think about as an entrepreneur. Cause we're just like, Hey, I, I just want to go market people. I just want to go build websites. <laughs> go write brand messaging. I want to just go do the thing that I'm really passionate about. But meanwhile, there's a whole separate side of your business where you have to care about your employees. And I feel like that's something that people don't think about a lot. Well, and that's a two-way street, Christina. It, it is important and it, and it is a responsibility of an entrepreneur, of a business owner to care about their people. And I make an intentional choice when I say businesses don't have employees businesses employ people. Because I, I, I try to get my clients out of this mindset that they have some sort of ownership or right or entitlement uh, to their employees' time. They are people you employ 
They are not your employees. But that, that, that street goes both ways, as I said. And we do have a situation right now where many employees show up and turn off. And so if that street's going to work both ways, the employee needs to be invested in some aspect of the impact that business makes. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk says it very well. If you're the business owner and you expect your employees to care about your business like you do, you're crazy. No one will care about your business like you do. No one will care about your health like you do. No one will care about your personal boundaries like you do. But when we look at the employee-employer relationship, it's a two-way street. And I think that street has been closed and God willing under construction. Uh, That's what we hope, you know, not just closed and broken, but hopefully it's at least under construction in many businesses for too long. And so we've stopped thinking that that street is a viable form of transportation. You know, again, Dolly says nine to five, what a way to make a living. Barely getting by, it's all taken and no given. They use your mind. They never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. And what I love about her perspective on work is that in her song, she's really given. She's committed to the employer. But what she's not seeing is traction. She's not seeing progress. She's not seeing, perhaps, impact. That's really what demotivates and stops many of our employees in their tracks, is when we as business leaders don't create an environment in which they can see and feel the impact of what they're doing. There's a best-selling book out there called Bullshit Jobs. That defines a BS job, right, as a job for which there is no tangible outcome to the person who's doing the job. Meaning, if I show up and I send 50 emails or I show up and I send one email, it doesn't matter. It's, it's like you're pressing a button that leads to nowhere, you know, a button that's attached to nothing. And we're, collectively we, we're sick of that type of work. Yeah. So the employee owes it to the employer to find a way to create an impact every day. But the employer owes it to the employee to make that impact meaningful. Like culture code and stuff isn't enough. I mean, that's just not enough to make that kind of impact. I see people all the time like, oh, we're going to create our core values and we're going to build a culture code. And then it becomes a dead document. Like they don't implement that. They're not like true to the culture inside of the company, true to like all the promises that you made to your employees and communicating their value inside the company. I think especially as we've gone more remote, like we're inside of people's lives as employers in a way that we never were before. If I'm on a Zoom call with my team, I'm going to see their pets and their kids and their husbands in the background. And that's something that if they were coming into the office, we would see if they chose to talk about it. But it's not something that we would normally be part of. Now we're in people's living rooms, we're in their kitchens, we're in their bedrooms. (laughs) And it's like, there's such an, you know, kind of almost a violation and a responsibility to be more human in our interactions. I feel like, like one of the things we even did was um, implement virtual offices in gather town. And one of the coolest things of that was it's like, I had employees on my team that I very rarely ever talked to. They did the work and it was good. And you know, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to talk. So I didn't really talk to them when we started implementing that in gather town and everybody actually had a virtual office and I can actually see people in their office working. I can see them going over and meeting with other people 
I felt a lot more connected to my team and they felt a lot more connected to the business and the mission. And we were able to start doing weekly staff meetings and I hold regular office hours where they can just pop in and ask questions and little things like that, that it was just, it was fascinating me to me to see like how they decorated their offices and to actually see them working even when it's virtual. Like there was so much in their personality and how they decorated their office even. It was just fascinating to me. So I don't, I don't know much about gather town, but I, I, I guess it's sort of like a virtual world mm-hmm. where, where you can set up office space. Yep. So how do you see the employee working? You see their avatar. So they're not on video. Mm-hmm. They're not on camera unless you like actually walk up to them. And then you can like, if they're in another tab and not like on gather town, then it'll mm-hmm. give you the option to kind of ring them and say like, you know, Hey, somebody wants to talk to you. But it doesn't invade their privacy because you're not seeing their camera. You're not listening to their microphone without their permission or anything like that. You just see their avatar sitting in the office. And then if they walk mm-hmm. over into another office, you can see their little avatar character, kind of like a like Minecraft kind of looking video game. You can see their character go yeah. over into someone else's office and you'll see little chat bubbles up above them as they're speaking. So it, it just it's really interesting mm-hmm. and they can decorate their own space. Like when you had physical office space, people would bring tchotchkes from home and decorate their desk and things like that. Like one person in our office doesn't even have a desk. There's just pillows. That's where they sit and work is mm-hmm. on a pile of pillows. <laughs> that would ruin my back. But if that is what they enjoy, you know, that's I'm fascinated by this idea because there is a lot of truth to the social connection that work creates. You know, for many people, the last time they were around as many people as they are in the office was in college. And so if you're not going to the office, there's this whole social chunk um, that we that we look or that we need to replicate. And this isn't something that's going to be solved overnight, but the office as a social gathering place is a very interesting uh, microcosm for, for me to look at. It's, it's, I almost wanted to call it a double-edged sword because yeah, you get that connection, but there's a study that shows it takes human beings on average 23 minutes to refocus after an interruption. Yeah. And the average yeah. office worker reports being interrupted between eight and 11 times a day. Well, I mean, you, you do the math, like they're never focused in that, in that respect. So being able to be in our own environment, um, you know, w- w- without either a virtual office or a real office and focus on the work at hand allows us to get in, get it done and get out. And I think what we'll start to see over the next several years is as folks get adjusted to working remotely they start to say, you know, my coworkers are lovely people, but I get to set up shop at the coffee house for two hours a day and I've got friends that I meet there. So I'm, I'm interested in actually walking over to this table. And I don't want to come across as, as though I'm judging one or the other is better. I'm not. I'm just saying that now there are more options available to us. And I'm excited to see how they develop and evolve and people will gravitate towards, I mean, I personally working from home 24-7 unless I'm on the road in front of clients. I often daydream about being in an office from time to time. I, I, I kind of miss it a little bit, but I'd like it on my terms. And so I think for somebody like me, a co-working space becomes attractive. There are folks who you know have distributed teams all over the world. So the only way they're going to get together is perhaps a virtual office space like you're talking about. And then there are the folks who've been 
waiting for this moment. And the minute COVID happened, they said, oh, thank you, Jesus, Lord. I don't have to go into that terrible place ever again. And they're just so excited to be at home 24-7. So there's, my dad said this when I was younger. He said, you know, Greg, there's a bolt for every screw. Meaning that for someone's interest or personality, there's there's something out there that fits them. But that that idea of coming in, accomplishing a task, and leaving, that is an important component of this discussion around work sucking and why it sucks. Yeah. Because for a very long time, I mean, I'm I'm over 40 years old, so certainly as long as I've been been alive, work was measured by when you got to the office and when you left. Unless you carried a quota, right? If you were in sales, then you could say, I've hit my quota, so I'm done. I'll be on the golf course. You know, but otherwise, you showed up at eight, you clocked out at five, and and I mean, that was it, especially prior to the internet. That was it. When I'm not at the office, I am not at the office. And then the internet happened, and the line between when we're at the office and when we're not got blurry. And then smartphones happened, and that line just vanished altogether. And it was constant but intermittent work that we were expected to do. But for people who didn't have a finish line, right? They didn't have a quota. They didn't know I'm done. What's the incentive to work any faster? So at this point, it's now a wait out the clock game. How many years do I have to do this same routine until I can say I'm done working, if at all? I mean, many people don't have that luxury. And given that perspective... Work seems like a prison sentence. 30 years, 40 years, making just enough to pay the mortgage, the car note. I mean, most of what people make is a pass-through. If you really think about it like a business owner, and I know your listeners are, most people spend 20 to 50%, in some cases much more, of their income on their home or where, you know, where they're living. They spend around 10 to 20% on transportation costs. So now we're near 70% of your income already gone the first of every month before you've even received it. And then you've got groceries and we can call these discretionary expenses, but you got to eat, got to wear clothes. Um, so 90 to 95% of what people make is already gone before it hits their bank account. So I got to do this for 30 years. Maybe I get 5% of my salary. Oh yeah, we forgot. Uncle Sam's taken 20 to 40%, depending on what you make. So one of the biggest opportunities employers have in front of them right now is to think long and hard about how to evaluate what work means, what accomplishing a day's work means for the average employee. We're not going to see innovation until there's an incentive to finish faster. What would it look like if people other than those in sales roles had daily quotas? And I don't know the answer. It's a legitimate question for your audience to think about. What would that look like? Because the organizations who get that right are going to be the ones that are leading the future in terms of workplace satisfaction, workplace engagement, worker productivity. Because the pandemic has shown loud and clear people are no longer willing to sell their life to a corporation. They're, they're done. People are voting with their feet. And what's fascinating is over the last several years, we've seen the rise of the gig economy. I don't know if this is something that's being talked about a lot in your network, but certainly in my world, 
great talent is leaving the traditional workforce for the gig economy. And as a musician, I've played gigs all over the world. And I throw the term around, I got a gig here, got a gig there, gig, 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 gig. Never really thought about what that word meant. And so I looked it up. And the term gig wasn't even really in our vernacular until the 1920s. And then it exploded in popularity. And I wondered why. And I looked back and found that the term was used mostly by jazz musicians. Well, I'm a musician, so now I'm really interested. And I start digging in a little deeper, Christina. What I learned was that prior to 1920, musicians called a gig something else. When they had a performance at Smokey Joe's Cafe in St. Louis or wherever they were performing, they called it an engagement. So gig is literally short for engagement, which means people are leaving the traditional economy for the engagement economy. And when you think about what it takes to be successful in the gig economy, you see people who are fully engaged. If you're a Grubhub driver and you are not efficient, you don't get more rides. You don't get more uh, uh, deliveries. If you're an Uber driver and you are not eager to pick up passengers, you get deplatformed. So you need to be efficient, you need to be eager, and you need to be effective. If you're a business owner listening, what if all of your employees were efficient, eager, and effective? What would your business look like? I imagine you're smiling thinking about that right now because it would look pretty damn good, I think. And that's the challenge that we have as leaders is how do we create an engagement economy in a traditional work environment? That's something that like me and uh, one of my staff members was actually talking about just yesterday, surprisingly. Um, we were talking about how quotas and stuff like that. Like she came from the content writer world and they were constantly chasing gigs. They were constantly going after gigs. You had like certain number of like blogs you were supposed to write or certain number of words you were supposed to write every day. And how that was just kind of, you, you learned how to be very efficient with your time. So we started thinking about like, well, how do we attract more of those? Because some of our best employees have been people that used to, you know, be in that rat race, be in the gig economy. And they had learned, you know, how to manage their time. They had learned how to be efficient. They had built systems for the job that they needed to do. Like they had self-started and did all that. Nobody had to teach them. They figured it out. But they were tired of chasing gigs. They wanted consistent work. They wanted to just do the work and not have to constantly be going and like trying to find people to hire them for things. And that was the biggest reason why they were attracted to us versus staying in that gig economy. And those have been some of our best employees. I feel like that's, you know, if you can attract those self-starters that like the gig work and then give them a place where it still feels comfortable, they still have, you know, drive and stuff that that can be really powerful. I hadn't really thought about it the way you said it, though, that it's like, yeah, if you just just clocking in and taking home a paycheck isn't enough anymore. Like just coming in every day and like that's your hey, I put in eight hours today and that's your quota. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. and, and what you just brought up, attracting gig workers who want perhaps a little more stability mm -hmm. or uh, don't want to, I think in your words, don't want to chase every gig. Yes. And it's important that we understand what they're used to, which is when I chase the gig and I do the gig, I'm done the gig because what we fall into the trap of, or what we can potentially fall into the trap of is attracting those gig workers who have those skills and then giving them a never ending stream of stuff to do. 
See, that's that's the real uh, crux of disengagement is that I'm never done. Uh, 30 years, I'm never done. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and I'm exhausted and I'm not getting compensated if I do more because you got me for eight hours. So all this efficiency that I developed, all this eagerness and effectiveness, you're just taking advantage of it. This is the imaginary you, by the way, Christine. I'm not saying you personally. The employer is just taking advantage of that efficiency. So there's got to be an incentive, a quota-like system applied, which either allows the employee to complete a certain amount of work and then reclaim the day or the week or the quarter as their own, or complete a certain amount of work and then continue to work for, I don't know, time and a half some sort of percentage bonus, some sort of impact bonus, some sort of profitability. We've got to take responsibility as leaders for solving this problem. We can't look at the employee and say, well, well how would you do it? <laughs> you don't get out of jail that easy, pal. You're the leader. This is our responsibility to fix this problem. And so I challenge your listeners to, to take this mantle, to step up to this challenge, because among your listeners is someone with an idea burning in their mind right now. They're going, oh, oh, me, I, I got it. I got a great idea. Let's get that idea out into the world and share it and refine it and build on it. We can fix this problem when we approach challenges ethically and consciously as business leaders. We are ruthlessly efficient at solving problems. But we got to start. Yep, I know my brain is already buzzing. Like one of the things we had debated was doing daily quotas. But as I'm listening to you talk, I think weekly quotas would be a lot sexier because it's like, hey, this is what we need you to get done this week. Get it done whenever, however you need to do it. If you can complete a week's worth of work in three days, enjoy two days off. Go have fun. If you want to do more work, yay, cool. Let's do more work. I mean, we already set our company up a little bit differently where it's uh, raises are based on cost of living increases because we know that has been nuts. So that keeps us competitive in the job market. So there's not a reason to go like, you know, go get a whole nother job just to be offered current salary when you should just be staying up to date. And then performance for bonuses. So company performance, personal performance, how are we doing for bonuses? So we had already set that up to be a little bit different. But yeah, I like that idea of making sure that they get rewarded for hitting their quotas in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and they're done. It's like, I would love that. I don't know why they wouldn't. So yeah, my brain's already buzzing with like a ton of different ideas and different ways we could approach things and handle stuff. So I think that's really cool. I love it. So I know like what other advice would you have for employers in terms of like how they manage their employee and help them become better and stay happy and actually get work done and be productive? Well, you know, so I mentioned earlier that I was a musician and I spent time as a dueling piano performer. Mm. And one of the skills, maybe the most important skill of someone who's a dueling piano performer is to know the audience. It's really not to be the best piano player because most of my audience was drunk and they don't care. You just have to be good enough. And it's, it's really not even to be a good singer because most of my audience, they want to hear themselves sing. Like they're there to sing and participate. It's sort of like group karaoke in a way. But you got to know the audience. You got to be able to read the room and know what they want. I had to be able to identify if a bachelorette party came in, what experience are they looking for? 
if a couple came in on a first date, what are they looking for? And I can pretty much pick out a couple on a first date at this point now, at least in a piano bar setting. If a group came in, I have to identify who's the ringleader, who's the one that brought the group here, because that's how it always works. You don't just get 19 people together who all go, I love piano bars. Oh my God, me too. We should form a group. No, there's there's one person in a group who says, hey, hey, what if we all go to a piano bar? It's going to be a blast. I love this place. Come on, let's go. And so you have some of the group that are excited to be there. They love piano bars too. Some of that group, they're, they're kind of going to go along for the ride and just you know see where it goes. But they know that ultimately they'll be at that bar for a little while and then they'll head on to the next place and just keep the night moving. And then you have the one or two people in that group, you know, sort of the reluctant few who are just waiting for an excuse to get out of there. I mean, they really don't want to be there. They don't even know where they want to go. You know, they're just part of this group though. So they go wherever the group goes and then hope they figure it out. And I realized that that audience composition is not unique to piano bars. In every organization, there are three types of people. I know that there's five you meet in heaven, but in your organization, in your professional organization, there's only three types of people. I call them keepers, leapers, and sleepers. So your keepers are the people who love what they're doing, they love who they do it with, and they love where they're doing it. That doesn't necessarily mean geographically, but the organization itself. So let's say right industry, right colleagues, right company. They are your keepers, and every organization wants keepers. They want more keepers. I mean, the, the conversations I have with my clients are about retention and engagement and discretionary effort high-performing, highly-fulfilled people. That's what my clients want in their organization. But there's two types of keepers. This is where my clients have an aha moment generally because they think about their keepers as rock stars. And they are, many of them. But keepers are also rock solid. So the rock star is the one who's consistently crushing their quota, always looking to do more, wants to be promoted, wants more responsibility, wants more initiative, but the rock solids, they just, they just love it here. They're not looking for a promotion. They're not looking to smash the ball out of the park every week. They want to know what you expect of them, and they're going to deliver that. Nothing more, nothing less. But that consistency is important. You find that consistency in a lot of back office responsibilities like engineering, maintenance, accounting. But those rock, rock solids or rock steadies, whichever you want to call it, those rock solid keepers, they're the ones that you build a business on. The rock stars grow the business. Yeah. And they ultimately go on to, to lead the business in many cases. But your keepers are a really important part of any business. So then we have our leapers. Leapers aren't showing up for a paycheck, um, but they also don't see this job as their calling. They're showing up to build career capital. They're showing up to build their resume. They may be working at a small organization to get enough on their resume that they can go apply to that big, sexy company they've always dreamed about working at. That's where they want to be. They want to leap to that big company. Or they could already be at a big company and they're looking for a small company where they can leap down and take a huge title. So maybe they are you know, a senior manager in a technology firm, and they know if they go to this small company, they could be the chief technology officer. Oh. Leapers are very often our most ambitious, 
and our most skillful employee, but we do them a disservice by trying to convince them to stay. We have these retention initiatives because we want you to stay. Don't you see how great it is here? And the leaders don't know their audience. They're not here to stay. They're here to grow and go. Our job is to help them do that. And last, but certainly not least, are our sleepers. And this is the group I get the most excited about. This is the group that innovation experts call trapped value. I call them dormant talent. They're the people that aren't really sure why they're here. And if you stopped paying them, they'd stop showing up because they're really just showing up every day for the paycheck. They're not giving discretionary effort. They're not looking for additional responsibility. They probably aren't even meeting the minimum standard right now that you have as an organization. And in some cases, our job as a leader is to wake them up and help them find another place to sleep. Hopefully they engage there, but our job is simply to show them the door, say thank you for your service. But where we miss an opportunity is in not connecting those sleepers with a purpose or with an impact that they can serve at our organization. Because very few people, there are some, I saw a TikTok video of one the other day, very few people take a job so they can torpedo the organization. Very few people take a job so they can show up every day and be miserable. We all, every single person hearing my voice, we want to be happy. We want to enjoy the way we spend our day. Some of us may not believe it's possible, but I know that's what we all want, and you know it too. If you're listening and you hear my voice, you know that's true. Our job, our responsibility as leaders is to wake up those sleepers and connect them with a purpose. Show them the impact they can make. And when we do that, they turn into either keepers or leapers. Or they're out the door. But our job is to wake them up. And we've been calling these people actively disengaged or disengaged or problem employees or God, I've heard some people refer to them as cancers. And we got to get rid of them from our organization or else cancer spreads. One bad apple spoils the bunch. Well, you let them in. So you got to take responsibility for waking them up. The interesting thing about leapers, if I can just go back for a second, is that it's, it's sort of counterintuitive to tell a leader to, to let a good employee go, or rather to help them go. But what happens when leapers leap is they become a network for the company they left. They become a global brand ambassador. You don't know it. You didn't give them a pin or a badge, but that's what happened. They became a global brand ambassador. And in doing so, everywhere they go, they will sing your praises. Because when they get to that new organization, think maybe pre-COVID here, but when they get to that new organization, one of the first things they do with their team is they all go to lunch or they go to happy hour or they sit around the, you know, the, the, the cafeteria or whatever, and they get to know the new employee. Now, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has said that on average, people stay between two and four years at an organization. That's the, sort of the national average right now here in the States. So there's a really good bet that at that table, where they're all meeting this new employee, some of the current employees are at the end of their four years. They're looking for their next leap. They're looking for that place to go. And when this employee, your global brand ambassador, 
talks about how awesome it was to work for you because you helped them get this job that they desperately wanted. That old employee, the one who may be looking to make a move, they call your phone and they say, hey, I heard you are an incredible person to work for. I'd love to learn more about your organization. So the, the, the one of the challenges that organiz- the businesses have right now is, re- is, is retention and recruitment. How do I get people? Well, what if you let go of the people that wanted to go? What if you actually helped them get where they wanted to go and let those people become a network, a global network of recruiters? And some of them are going to boomerang back. Some of them are going to go and realize, you know, I actually really did like it where I was. But they come back with fresh perspective, new ideas, additional skills that you didn't have to pay for. They got it on somebody else's dime. So helping leapers leap is a huge win for organizations and for the leaders within it. And then waking up the sleepers activates this dormant talent, talent that's already in your organization. You don't have to pay extra for it. You just get more value for the money you're already paying. And when leaders understand how to identify and how to have a conversation with each of those category of employee, and there are, there are questions that you can ask. This is what I share with my clients, these, these questions. When they understand their audience, they can deliver what I call an encore performance. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all want from our employees and from our employers. We want an employer who creates a work experience that's so great, I can't wait to go back in. And I know some of you are rolling your eyes going, yeah, right, Offner, whatever. <laughs> I dream of a world where people are excited at the impact they get to make each day when they go to work. Because you get to choose. It may not feel like you do, but you get to choose where you work. You get to choose what you do with your day. Many of us have chosen comfort and complacency. And I don't mean comfort like the lap of luxury. I mean, just enough to get by. Just comfortable enough. Just complacent enough. That reach to get what we really want, it's scary. I know it's scary because I was that comfortable, complacent person. I had a day job that was okay. You know, good enough. And I had a night job, I mentioned earlier, as a dueling piano performer, which I loved. But let's be honest, a diet of ramen noodles is not my style. (laughs) And you don't make a whole heck of a lot of money as as, as a performer. And in 2015... I got news from my my vocal team, from doctors, um, after a gig. I had been performing at a gig, and I lost my voice during the performance. And doctors said that my voice, my vocal cords, were so badly damaged that if I didn't take immediate action and make dramatic lifestyle changes, I'd never speak again. At that time, they thought my singing voice was gone forever, that that, that was just going to be a byproduct, a loss associated with the surgery that was going to be needed to save my vocal cords. But they thought if we acted quickly and decisively, there was a chance that I'd be able to regain my speaking voice. Over the next, over the better part of a decade, I'd go on to have 13 surgeries on my vocal cords. The ups and downs of recovery and complete silence as my vocal cord healed And then as I finally got some semblance of a voice back, being able to speak again, my vocal team said, okay, we're ready for the next part of this procedure. I was in a deep depression at the midpoint of this experience. And when I started to take inventory of what my life 
could have looked like if I had simply made that reach. I became suicidal because I realized that someday we all do something for the last time. Maybe it's hugging our parents. Maybe it's singing and performing. We don't know at that moment, but someday we're going to do something for the last time. And when I thought about speaking for the last time, I was filled with regret and disappointment because I knew I wanted more. I was just scared because I was just comfortable enough. I was just complacent enough. And I know if you're listening to this, that it seems daunting to make that change. But ask yourself, what label feels best the way I described it? Do you feel like you're a keeper where you're at? Do you feel like you're a leaper? Do you feel like you're a sleeper? First, no, that's not a permanent label. It's just where you are right now. That can change day to day. But you've got to make a change. It begins with an honest conversation with your manager, with your leader. And leaders, if you're listening to this, you owe your people this honest conversation. To say, wherever you're at in your journey, keeper, leaper, sleeper, it's okay. My job is to help get you where you want to be. Because as my as one of my mentors, I mean, I never met him, but I've read all his books and listened to his tapes. One of my mentors, Zig Ziglar, is fond of saying, the secret to success in life is to help enough people get what they want. You'll get what you want. So if I can leave the audience with any message, it's chase impact. Chase impact in what you do and the income will follow. I promise. But if you're frustrated and you feel like, oh, maybe I've been chasing income, this is your wake-up call. Please start to chase impact and let's take the irk out of work together. I think that's a perfect transition into giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself, introduce how people can get in touch with you if they feel inspired by all of this. Because I know like I'm listening and I'm just speechless with doesn't happen to me very often because it was so much really good stuff. Everybody who knows me knows that speechless is not my style, <laughs> but really great information. Like my brain is just running with ideas on stuff. So if somebody else is feeling inspired and they want to reach out to you, what kind of stuff do you do? How can they get in touch with you? Sure. So my full-time job is a keynote speaker. I speak at conferences. I speak for organizations. I travel internationally and I'm on a mission to take the IRC out of work. So leadership conferences, general assemblies, you know, annual kickoff meetings. I'm generally opening the conference and setting the tone for the experience, or I'm closing the conference and, and really tying all of the content that the attendees have learned up with a nice pretty bow so that they leave excited and inspired. And hopefully they are inspired to take the IRC out of work. I, you know, because of what I do, I have a website. I uh, never thought I'd say that, but I've got a website. So it's gregoryoffner.com. I'd, I'd love for you to, to go and check it out. I'm easy to reach. I'm on all the major socials. Uh, you know, LinkedIn and Instagram are generally my, my, my two main jams. Um, but if you're listening to this and you're moved, uh, inspired, hell, even if you're disgusted, uh, you know, reach out and let me know what you thought. Let me know what's resonating with you. And, and if I can help you, I will. Uh, I read every message. I read every email. I don't have a, you know, a cadre of people that are between me and somebody who wants to say hi. Like I'm very approachable. So, you know, I'd love the opportunity to connect with anyone who's interested and, and learn about your story. 
Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on today and sharing so many great insights. This has been like truly thought provoking. Oh, that's awesome, Christina. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's so it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and entrepreneurs, if you want to learn from other great experts just like Gregory, head over to etatoday.zone and get lots of great tips to help you build a business that enables your lifestyle instead of taking over your life. Until next time. <laughs>